This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of 91. The value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. In South Africa, 91 is an authorized financial services provider. There was once a view that authoritarian economies could not innovate at a very high level. That view has clearly been challenged in recent years by China's ability to develop world-leading internet companies, advances in defense technology, and quantum computing. But how far that process is likely to go remains in question. What should we outside of China make of the trillions China is spending to develop other sectors like semiconductors and aircraft manufacturing? I'm Sahil Mithani. I lead our research partnerships for the 91 Investment Institute, where we bring in external experts to challenge our way of thinking in the investment team. Uh, and I'm here to talk to one of them. I'm here to talk to Chris Miller today, who worked with our team on a project about China's economic modernization through technology and what that means for how we invest in China today. What drew us to Chris was quite simply that Chris has a very multidisciplinary approach to history and political economy and that he was applying his sharp eye on the chip industry. So it was the perfect time for us to get his views on this sector. I think it's a good time to give you a bio. Uh, Chris is a professor of economic history and international history at the Fletcher School at Tufts University. He's currently writing a book on the political history of the computer chip, which is titled Chip War, and that will be published in 2022. Professor Miller previously served as the Associate Director of the Brady Johnson Program and Grant Strategy at Yale. He received his PhD from Yale and his BA from Harvard. Uh, he's written three books, including the widely cited Struggle to Save the Soviet Economy, about why Russia struggled to reform its economy years before the collapse of the Soviet Union. So welcome, Chris. Thanks for having me, Sahel. So Chris, I wondered if you could walk us through the argument you make here about China's shift in recent years to industrial policy. Well, if you look at uh, how the Chinese government tries to make economic policy today, you'll uh, find that the state plays a, a major role alongside the private sector in shaping economic priorities. But that's nothing new. The Chinese state has always played a big role in the economy in different ways. Uh, its share of economic activity has changed over time, declining to a certain extent uh, in recent years. But if, if you're simply looking at, is the state involved in the economy? The answer is yes today. It's been a yes in the past in different ways. What's, what's new recently is that China's government is not simply trying to boost economic growth. It's not simply trying to provide investment into public goods or infrastructure, but it's targeting specific industries at the cutting edge of technological innovation. And there's a, an excellent analyst of China's economy named Barry Naughton, who's done some really pathbreaking work on uh, the industrial development funds that uh, China is pursuing today. And, and what he's found, which I completely agree with, is that the amount of money going into cutting edge technology today in China is higher than it's ever been before. Most of this money is being channeled through state backed or state funded uh, venture funds. And that uh, as a result, this is this is a real new phase for China's economic policy, not because the government's more or less involved but because of the way the government's involved and the fact that the government is trying to fund cutting edge technology, which obviously raises the question of, well, will any of this work? So what's your understanding of why they decided to take a more active role in funding companies? 
I think if you put yourself in the shoes of Deng Xiaoping or Jiang Zemin, the Chinese leader throughout most of the 1990s, or, or Hu Jintao, the leader before Xi Jinping, you didn't have to think that hard about technology because economic growth was not provided by, uh, by acquiring the most advanced technology. It was provided by a pretty straightforward process of moving workers from farm to factory, of building up your basic capital stock. And none of that involved anything close to the cutting edge. China wasn't trying to acquire the cutting edge. It was trying to acquire um, the technology that middle-income countries uh, normally had. And so for several decades, China's leaders didn't really need to think seriously about technology outside of perhaps a defense context, which was a, a small share of the, the China's economy. Today, it's different. China's trying to escape what some economists call the middle income trap. Uh, it's in the midst of a, a growing um, geopolitical confrontation with the United States that's focused on technology. Uh, and Chinese leaders think correctly that the future of their economy will depend on its ability to acquire advanced technologies and to be able to produce them domestically. So it's they're, they're not wrong to, uh, to think this. Uh, and as a result, over the past couple of years, five years or so, um, there's been a real intensification in the amount of funds being put into advanced technology technologies by both the central government and by provincial and local governments in China. So you're saying there's been a big shift in recent years and that it's qualitatively different from what China was doing before in terms of managing its economy. It's qualitatively and quantitatively different. The, the goal has shifted from providing public goods and basic subsidization of capital investment to advanced technologies, but also the amount of funding going into specific industries is several orders of magnitude larger than it was. The, the highest estimates today are that for specific industries like the chip industry, but not only, there are hundreds of billions of dollars going into those industries. And it's hard to get uh, confidence in the exact number because so much is channeled through local and state uh, government funds that have very little transparency, but the amount of money is, is, is truly tremendous. And tell us about the track record that they've had in spending this money and the results they've obtained. I think it's at an aggregate level, it's hard to argue with China's economic results over the past 40 years. The country has done extraordinarily well, and that's in no small part due to the country's leadership making a series of good economic policy decisions. So in aggregate, the, the track record is extraordinarily positive. But when you look at technology, it's a much more mixed picture. And I think that's that's the challenge from an analytical perspective is separating the very good macro story to the much more mixed story when it comes to advanced technologies. Now, when you think about technology, I think you've got to separate the internet sector from the rest of the tech sector. And, and certainly there's no question that China's gotten very innovative. Internet or digital technology companies, um, everyone's familiar with the um, successes of companies like Alibaba or Tencent and growing very small uh, to very large very quickly. And the products they're bringing to market in China and, and to a certain extent internationally are, are really top notch. But what China's government's been funding is not the internet. It's not uh, it's not Internet companies. It's been trying to fund uh, uh, advanced manufacturing. It's been trying to fund robotics. It's been trying to fund semiconductors over the past uh, decade or so. And, and the results there are much less impressive. If you look at aerospace, for example, which has been a high priority sector for economic reasons, also for defense reasons, uh, China's really struggled to uh, bring online a an aviation company that can compete with Airbus or Boeing. Uh, and although it's got one in Comac, in fact, uh, most of the components of uh, a new Comac airplane are sourced from abroad. The same thing is true in semiconductors. China spent billions of dollars subsidizing semiconductors for the past uh, decade or so, and the results have been pretty unimpressive. China doesn't have leading edge uh, capacity in any type of chip making uh, the, today, and it doesn't really have a pathway to get there 
over the medium term in most types of chip making. So the, the track record is actually quite unimpressive, especially when you compare it to China's overall macroeconomic track record, which is extraordinarily good. And how do we explain that, that they've had comparative success in uh, you know, developing large-scale competitors to the U.S. tech giants, where, you know, for example, Europe has, has struggled in that department, and they, yet they haven't had these breakthrough successes in aircraft manufacturing or in the chip industry? I think there are a couple of explanations. One is when you look at the the internet companies, you know, there's no doubt that although uh, China's tech companies are extraordinarily innovative and there's a lot of competition uh, between them, there, there was some initial benefit of uh, not having competition from the big American tech firms, uh, which is why China's got its own homegrown internet firms and Europe, India to a substantial extent um, doesn't other big markets. So that's 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 one factor. But I think more important than that is that uh, for the types of technology that we're talking about, advanced manufacturing, semiconductors, robotics, uh, it's just extraordinarily difficult to get close to the cutting edge. And unless you're at the cutting edge doing the most, advanced, the best, the highest quality, uh, it's not worth much. If, if you look at semiconductor, the semiconductor industry, it's the leading company in each segment, or maybe the, the top two that make all the profits. Uh, and that's true in other industries as well, but I think it's more true in semiconductors uh, than many, which means that if you're a, a fourth or fifth tier player, you make basically no money, even though you have to spend the same amount in CapEx to get there. Uh, so it's extraordinarily capital intensive. It requires deep tacit knowledge uh, workforce that's built up this knowledge over uh, several decades. Uh, and it requires um, integration into international supply chains of the type that China struggles to replicate in these high-tech sectors because other companies are are skeptical of losing control of their IP uh, and are very careful with what they actually put in China. And so unlike, say, Taiwan or South Korea, where there's been uh, immense success in semiconductors precisely because they've been able to integrate so deeply with U.S. chip designers, with chip machinery makers in the U.S. and Japan, Chinese companies have struggled to do that in, in part because of uh, these, these concerns over tech transfer uh, and IP. So there's been less tech transfer to China, even though you've got to have the best technology because if you're a second or third tier player, it just doesn't get you anywhere. It sounds like China is going to struggle in a, in a base case scenario of having success uh, in areas like semi-equipment, where the level of technological development is extremely high. I mean, what does that mean for some of the other uh, areas that you did deep dives in, including 5G, digital payments, and so on? I mean, where is China likely to have success? If you look at technologies where where you can block off the domestic market and use that as a an area to stage your growth from that's a place where china's likely to have success and so and so that's somewhere where semiconductors it's really hard to do that because if you block off your domestic market and use that as your first stepping stone you end up with third or fourth tier technology and you just can't make any progress um where china's done well uh, in the past is where it's had a domestic market where it's preference but it also competes internationally at the same time um, and so if you look for example at huawei which is you know a controversial company in many ways but is also a as an extraordinary record of innovating and bringing a high quality 5G equipment to market. What Huawei's done very successfully is both sold domestically and benefited from a slew of domestic subsidies, but also from day one tried to export abroad and had to compete with uh, foreign companies uh, to do so. And that export competition has been very important for Huawei in making sure it understands what's the market look like, understands how do you do sales and marketing, understands what do customers want. And if you're just focused domestically, you just wouldn't gain those skills. And so that combination 
combination of having a protected domestic market, but not relying on the, the protected market, instead relying on market competition to hone your skills is, is the right strategy for most Chinese companies. Um, the challenge is that it's, of course, very difficult to, to pull off well, and many companies would rather just uh, rely on the uh, protected domestic market, reap profits from that, and avoid competition more broadly. Obviously, in the West, we are going through a process where we're reassessing industrial policy in a number of economies. I mean, what can we learn from what China is doing? Not just the sheer amount of money they're throwing at the problem, but the way they're going about actually you know, developing these technologies. It's an interesting question. In, in some ways, the answer is it's, it's too soon to tell because we don't really yet know about the success of China's efforts writ large. Um, we do have some initial data points. Um, we know, for example, that Tsinghua Unigroup, which is one of the biggest Chinese uh, semiconductor companies, benefited from a whole lot of state investment uh, over the past couple of years, tried to buy a series of um, high-profile international chip companies, and then went bankrupt. We know that that's not a model for how do you boost semiconductor investment in a, a proactive way in your own country. So just pouring capital in alone can't be enough. Um, and, and that's, I think, where China has faced challenges over the past uh, decade or so is that it's been successful in pouring capital in, but it's done so in a way that's not productive. The local government officials just don't understand enough to, to know what they're doing. If you talk to executives at companies like SMIC, the biggest Chinese fab or other companies, what they'll say is, yes, we get lots of subsidies, but you know, 10% of the subsidies come from this provincial governor. We've got to build a fab in his province. 10% come from this, another provincial governor. And so they've got lots of subsidies spread very thin, and it actually doesn't have anywhere near the impact that you might expect. I contrast that to what we've seen in Taiwan over the past four decades since the founding of uh, TSMC, which is now the world's most advanced shipmaker. TSMC was mostly funded by the Taiwanese government in its early stages, 48% by the Taiwanese government. Another quarter of its initial funding uh, came from some Taiwanese business people who were coerced by the prime minister into investing. So it was 75% of the funds came from uh, basically state sources in Taiwan. And it benefited hugely from investment tax credits and the very various sorts of tax subsidies throughout its entire existence. So subsidies have played a major part in the growth of TSMC. But from day one, they were deeply integrated into international supply chains, focused exclusively on the export market because there was no domestic market of any scale and so had to compete from the earliest stage. And that combination of subsidized capital plus uh, focused competition of the international market, I think, is the right model. China's got the first part of that, the subsidized capital. It doesn't yet have, uh, at least in the semiconductor space, uh, the second part down. And I think what you see right now in discussions about decoupling in both China and the U.S. suggests it'll be harder for China to get that international competition in the future uh, because there's, there's just less space for Chinese firms today than it might have been five or 10 years ago. So it's, it sounds like this is not crossing the river while feeling the stones, more, more like launching a rocket ship across the river and seeing if it lands uh, easily. I mean, this is just a grand experiment, right? I think that's right. It, it, in some ways, if, if you buy the largest numbers that are thrown around in terms of the amount of money that's being poured into advanced industries, you can find people setting numbers up, upwards of a trillion dollars. I think the reality is slightly less than that, but no matter what you think it is, it's an extraordinary amount of spending that's going in uh, to advanced technologies. By comparison, the Manhattan Project, or, or pick your, your famous example of industrial policy in the past, uh, they, they pale in comparison in, in simple dollar terms. 
Uh, and the question is, will this money go to go to good use? Will it actually produce innovations that are profitable and, and find a market? And I think the answer is certainly yes in some cases, but probably a lot less frequently than Chinese policymakers will hope. And you actually see this reflected to a certain extent in debates in, in Beijing and in China more generally. Uh, the Chinese government wants to throw capital around and Chinese provincial governments want to throw capital around. If you listen to debates within the Chinese ship industry, there's on the one hand appreciation that capital is inexpensive. On the other hand, uh, there's a realization that the government's not going to be the, the smartest investor in, in most types of uh, chip making or chip design. This is to go back about your method of assessing Chinese advancement in different sectors. Can you tell us about why you used export shares as an indicator for where China was making progress versus lagging? Yeah, I think the, the challenge in an economy like China is where, uh, especially for priority industries, the government can play a big role is that if a company's or if an industry's export share or domestic sales share rather is, is growing, you don't know whether that's because of political pressure or because they've got good products. It's just not an independent metric. Whereas on the global export market, uh, we can be more confident that if a uh, country's export share is growing or if a specific company's uh, gaining a larger share of the global market, that's a pretty clear judgment that the market uh, is competing and, and assessing that this company or this country has good products at reasonable prices. And, and what you find in a lot of the priority sectors that China's targeted, whether it's biotechnology and pharmaceuticals, whether it's aviation, whether it's semiconductor manufacturing equipment, uh, China has been importing the same or even in some cases a growing share of the equipment that it needs uh, in these sectors, despite having prioritized them in the past, which suggests that uh, Chinese companies that are buying these buying these types of equipment want and prefer to buy the foreign equipment, even though there might be uh, some cheaper prices at home or in some cases political pressure to buy uh, domestically. And if that's the case, that's a pretty clear sign that the domestic uh, competitors aren't nearly as good or aren't nearly as price competitive uh, as what you can buy abroad. Yeah, just to underline that, I think that was a very clever method of cutting through some of the debates that we're all having around Chinese technology, which have often led uh, to large differences in, in views between the participants and just focusing on the export shares seemed to be a reasonable way of assessing progress. So, so just to conclude, I mean, how do you think the US and other Western economies are uh, responding to the technological shift that we are seeing in, in, in Chinese industrial policy? Well, it seems pretty clear that a, a lot of countries that are um, have industries that are potentially challenged by this shift are, are taking measures to protect their own industries. Uh, we've seen the European Union, we've seen Taiwan, we've seen South Korea roll out uh, new investment screening laws, for example, to limit Chinese purchases of, of their companies in these types of advanced industries. Uh, we've seen Japan, the EU, the US talk about new trade rules that would control or limit uh, industrial subsidies, which uh, don't currently exist. There's a lot of efforts underway to try to get an international framework for uh, limiting subsidies or at least assessing subsidies and, and, and assessing investment screening implications. Um, but I think what we're going to find is that actually, although government policy is important, the, the key question is really going to be decided by the private sector, which is to say, which country and which companies are going to have the most effective and most uh, cost efficient 
manufacturing tools for semiconductors, design processes, supply chain management. Uh, ultimately, if you don't have a, a, a price competitive product, uh, you're not going to win, especially in a market like this one where performance is crucial and performance is improving uh, an order of magnitude every couple of years. Uh, so if, if you're a couple of years behind the competition, uh, you're an order of magnitude behind, and that's just not a place that you can uh, you can compete from. So in some ways, I think we're, we're right to look at the, the, the politics and the policy, um, but we also shouldn't lose perspective of the fact that it's going to be companies that are going to be playing the dominant role in, uh, in, in deciding how competition over semiconductors and other types of advanced technologies will play out. Well, there you have it. Industrial policy is difficult, innovation is hard, and you need the state and you need the private sector to be involved together to get seriously good results. Thanks so much, Chris. The piece that we discussed is available on our website. It's called China's Tech Revolution, Unprecedented Scale Mixed Results. Uh, and it covers the shift that we've seen in Chinese uh, policymaking from prioritizing consumer internet to uh, so-called hard technology. Um, there are a series of investment implications that have been developed by Chris and our investment team together. And please feel free to contact us if you have any questions about uh, the conclusions in that paper. Thank you very much.